this talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. I think we've had cases, Martin, where we did take up almost too much responsibility, for example, in terms of financing, and it became almost too easy for the entrepreneurs to raise money. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Philip, Martin, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Sylvan. Thank you very much. You're the co-founders of Session.vc, a fund investing in early stage companies in the software and consumer space. And before we talk about your fundraising and your investor journey, we, of course, want to start with your personal background. So, Philip, you studied business administration and finance at the University of St. Gallen here in Switzerland. Did you ever dream of an entrepreneurial career back then? I never had a clear plan of what exactly I wanted to do. Um, what was clear is that I wanted to be independent and free, and I wanted to be successful and make money. Um, as a teenager, I was very much into music. I played guitar in different bands, but I was also fascinated by the stock market. So I think um, it was kind of the creativity and the analytical thinking, um, the two things which, which I was interested in. And being entrepreneurial, I think, was a, was a consequence um, out of that. Um, but it was, you know, whatever I did, it wasn't really planned. It was um, about grabbing opportunities um, that just presented themselves. And after many twists and turns, um, where I ended up is, is, is where I am today as a, as a VC investor. So there's no master plan. It's really one door, one step led to the other. Absolutely. Great. And for you, Martin, where does your entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you have any role models in your family or what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? I think I'm slightly different than Philip's one. I didn't, I didn't plan. I, I had virtually no plan. Um, my parents were academics and they were uh, keen for me to, to go to the university and make a study. Uh, but I, I had my first company when I was in college and um, was kind of growing into entrepreneurship by just starting my own business in the, in the, in par in the parents' house, which was a, a bulletin board system in the late 80s and early 90s. So. Honestly, I don't know where the entrepreneurial spirit comes from. I would say I was just growing into and then mm -hmm. became fascinated and passionate about mainly the technology side of things. And what motivated you to start your first business back then? Was there any particular problem that you saw in the market or was it also technology driven? Well, um, this was the time before the internet and there were these bulletin board systems where you uh, were calling around with your computer and you had a modem attached that made strange sounds. And that was a very costly exercise if you were calling those bulletin board systems across the world. 
so my motivation was virtually that I said it's it's a nonsense that I just call those people. They should call me. And the only way that they called me uh, was virtually to set up a bulletin board system. And, and that's at the end what I did. So I, I built this uh, bulletin board system in order for the people to to call me. And, and the rest was just coming automatically. So I soon had my brother uh, working for me and then I had my family helping me. Uh, so it was it was just growing. It wasn't planned at all. You, you sort of solved your own problem there, right? Yes. Um, yes. I, 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 I'm, I'm a person that I, I don't read manual manuals. Uh, still today, I think if I have to read a manual, <laughs> it's it's a bad product. Um, so I, I learn by just doing stuff and um, making the experience. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I can very much relate to that. My girlfriend always tells me you should read the manual because otherwise you break the system again. You see, and I would say if you have to read the manual, buy another product. I fully agree. I will tell her that next time. <laughs> so you're both sitting here. So Philip, how do you actually first met Martin? When, when was that and, and how did that happen? Because the two of you, you have a very fascinating story, but we want to start at the beginning. So where did you meet right. for the first time? I don't, I don't remember. Martin, do you? Maybe in the sandpit. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we grew up together, basically. And um, so, I mean, we were, as teenagers, we were playing on the streets and, the, you know, everything that teenagers do. Um, and then came the point where, where um, Martin disappeared into the attic of, of his parents, basically starting his, his startup that he just spoke about. Yeah, well, we, 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 we must have met in, in primary school, Probably, that was yeah. kin between kindergarten and, and primary school. And th there was on and off. I mean, there were times where we haven't heard from each other for a few years. And then there was a phase where we... Yeah. I think we connected again when, when, when you, you called me, when you had your company and it was already successful. And he said, you should have, you should have joined me and not... Um, not studied. Go, not study at some column. Yeah. <laughs> what did he answer to that statement? Well, um, I I don't remember, but um, I think that would have definitely been a good a good alternative as well to join Martin at the time. And then, um, actually, later you then decided to join forces and work together. What what happened there? When was the right time? When then said, "Hey, let's work on something together." As far as I remember, it, it again, it's, it's it's something that just happened naturally. There was mm -hmm. there was little planning. Um, it was the time of of you know the the internet, the first dot com boom, when um, I decided to um, that investing in young startups was a great idea. And Martin was the one who knew something about the internet, so we basically we joined forces and started investing. Um, some of those investments were successful, few actually, because in March 2000, we had the big crash. Um, and so we also lost quite a bit of money, um, had our, you know, made our first lessons. And, um, and then I went back into uh, investment banking and, and, and Martin, Martin did uh, another startup, uh, which I was partially involved. And, and that's how the story continued. And if you look at, at your setup, what actually makes you a good team? Do you have any you know, particular values or skill sets that you say, hey, that's actually the, the ingredient for a successful team that you both together bring to the table? If I, 
if I have to think clearly, I think we many times we have mutual understandings. I mean, we're totally all for animals. You know, we both like to 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 be right and to to, to lead. We have totally complementary skills, and I believe we have the ability to fully trust the other in his space. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember a lot of occasions when I, I tend to get. Um, kind of emotional at some point in time and he's the one that can actually bring me down to to the rational level and i think it sometimes happened mm. the other side as well when i remember the other way around yeah when you had the own story and you were sometimes really at the edge of uh, getting crazy um my job was to make sure that he's 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 landing back on on the feet mm-hmm. and yeah, if, I, if we have to we trust we trust each mm. other uh, just 100 percent, and we 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 know what what skills the other the other has i think it's it's fundamentally it's really sharing sharing certain values i think that's what what's really fundamental and then the the you know different skill set that's complementary that's that's the thing that adds on top of it have you ever explicitly you know phrased out those values that you share that are important to both of you or is it more an implicit thing because you grew up together? It, it's working very naturally again. No, I don't think we've we've written it down. But it's um, I think it's a combination of of honest, you know, being honest to each other um, and being relatively being humble. Um, at the same time, being passionate and wanting success, having a big dream. So I think this combination of 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 you know, want going for something, but then at the same time, being being relatively humble about it. I think that's a that's a value that we share, right? Yeah. And how do you split the skill set? So you said before you have complementary skill set. So how do you split the tasks and the the roles? I would call myself still a little bit of a nerd. So I I would say I'm the techie. Uh, architectures, products, defining services is is is, is clearly is clearly my space. I, mm. I still do coding uh, and, and building hardware. Uh, while I think you is, uh, if I have strategic uh, questions and and questions about financing, he's he's the master. You know, he's just extraordinarily good in 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 doing that. Yeah, mm. I I don't do hardware. <laughs> I don't code. <laughs> But that, that seems like a very good split, right? Because usually you say you need to have someone who can actually build and someone who can sell. And I mean, the, the whole finance part also goes in that direction that you need to be able to sell and have the business side in order. So that's yeah. a great combination. Yeah. Now, if you look back at the early days, you already worked together for more than 20 years. And you mentioned before you invested in early stage companies back then, for example, On or Bexio, some of the big names and successes that you've had. So first of all, how do you get access to those deals back in the days? Because nobody knew that those companies were going to be a success. So how do you get access? How do you get a seat on the table? On my side, if I look back, there was there was not really a super structured approach, and you can also see that in the in the different ventures that we did. It was really um, you know keep about keeping your eyes open, speaking to lots of people, exchanging ideas about interesting startups or interesting opportunities in the market and then again about 
once once you see once you find something is running with it you know going for it and 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 doing it and that's 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 really what it was and and with on for example it was really also a friendship with one of the founders and 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 so he approached me initially um having having or the, the three approached me having having the idea of starting a, a running shoe company and that's how it happened so it wasn't a structured approach of on on my behalf or anything mm-hmm. we sometimes um sometimes we think about ideas ourselves and um it, it it can happen that we think about an idea for a very long time and then suddenly um someone appears with who who is executing that idea and this typically brings you um in a good situation when you talk to those um entrepreneurs because you understand what you're talking about okay. and for me that's that's the key thing you know i, I personally need passion and um once we then have a startup that that goes into the direction of something that I have a passion for I I do everything to to get into and and help them to make a success did also your your personal experience or your personal network from your entrepreneurial career before help you to get access to deals I think it I think yes I mean the answer is clearly yes because if you if you put yourself in a room and close the doors and don't go out um, there's <laughs> unlikely that that someone will find you um but again before we had session vc i would say we haven't even made a great deal about a deal flow there were times where we had some deals uh, but often it was really that we are that we were going out and and figuring out what's there and we were we were trying to 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 identify them the, the deals ourselves mm-hmm. based on the interests and the knowledge and and the passion that was around and philip you mentioned on that they approached you what were your initial thoughts because everybody thought in the beginning that they were completely crazy even Kaspar t- told us on the Swisspreneur podcast that when his friend told him that he wants to start a running company with new shoes he said you're, you're completely nuts like it's not never going to work what were your initial reactions i think they were similar um there was definitely not you know that that, that i saw this as it what it became um i remember that what we said is you know either this is going to turn out to be a success or we're going to have running shoes for the rest of our life that was kind of that's kind of how it started and um so there was again there was there there was it wasn't that i have any had any vision but still what convinced you to then put money on the table and invest in the company right so i think i think that was a combination of things and and the most important one is the team and the fact that they are very complementary the th- three of them and um and then there are some other aspects but maybe that's just the 2020 hindsight um approach uh, when we you start to you know think about why you have probably invested and 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 that is that it's a it's a huge market so there's a huge addressable market um there hasn't been any innovation or hadn't been any innovation in running shoes for a long long time uh at that running shoes all looked the same at the time there was no minimalistic design um like the one that on um came with and um it was also in some way in some way it's a recurring business model because the shoes they do break at some point and people need to buy a new one so i mean these 
these elements, these characteristics were, were interesting as, as an investor, but I don't think I did think about those too much at the time. So it was really the founding team it was that really convinced the team, you. Yes. Yeah. And Martin, of course, when you invest, you also need to invest money. So where did the money of your first investments come from? Did you invest your personal money? Did you also have investors already on board back then? Um, I was fortunate to, uh, to, to, to be able to sell my first company. So my first company was um, not bootstrapped, I, but I had minimal external capital. There was uh, one guy uh, contributing, um, I think it was 150,000 and he made, I don't know how many millions out of it. But I, I was fortunate to sell my uh, first company when I was 29. And um, I then had enough money um, to to actually make my my own uh, deals, and um, I I never was a I never was someone to put all my wealth into one uh, basket except for the first business where I had no money, um, but mainly it's my own money yes, and and I got it from from the first company. Perfect. And how was that for you, Philip? Well, I didn't have any money, so or or, or not that much. And um, I mean, the little that I invested, I I, I think I remember I borrowed some money from my my parents, and I had to pay that back. And that took me took me quite a while. And I think I was thirty two, thirty three when I paid it back. So so I had quite some you know experience also, not you know not having money, losing money, you know going through these you know difficult periods in the beginning. And borrowing money to invest in startups it's not a good didn't idea that generally cause sleepless <laughs> night for you. Yes, it did, and it's it's generally not a good idea. But um, yeah, it's 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 what I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all worked out in the end, but yeah, still, exactly, that's quite risky. Yeah, for me, it was the total opposite. I mean, I w I would have never ever gone to my parents asking them for money because their expectation was that I go to university and make my studies and mm. not start the business uh, in the internet with a total unclear outcome. So I think I would have never, ever gone mm. to my parents asking them just for one franc. Yeah, um, I, I just had to. I, I didn't have any alternative. Of yeah. course, it yeah. worked out well. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that you do, which is quite eye-opening, what you also state in interviews and on your website, is that you take a really active role as investors. So how active were you and what does active actually mean when you invest in a company? Well, active in my case uh, means uh, at some stage becoming operational. Uh, you know, I can make an example um, in, in, in Bexio. Um, when they had um, issues with, um, with um, uh, product management, I was virtually stepping in for for half a year um, and and actually taking an operational role just just to go out later. So we're ourselves not uh, too good to actually roll back the sleeves and 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 do real work. Um, although uh, at this point in time, we try to prevent becoming extremely operational, but it's much more than. Um, than just a board meeting or, or 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 a call every three or four weeks. With most companies, uh, I'm responsible in the portfolio. I have almost daily uh, interactions. Well, so it's a lot. lot. It's yeah. it's really a lot, and and you always have to balance between 
the kind of company you know in some companies you 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 should give or you have to give more advice at certain points in time and other companies um, they, they they can do it themselves and it's more negative when you involve yourself too much mm-hmm. i think what's what what is always important to me as an investor is just to be very clear that um as investor as an investor you're not a founder you're not part of the founding team and that you should also not take over too much responsibility and i think we've had cases martin where we did take up almost too much responsibility for example in terms of financing and it became almost too easy for the entrepreneurs to raise money and so they didn't get quite accustomed to the fact that it's tough and and later that you know you you can run into problems with that so i think having a certain distance is important it's something we had to or i at least had to learn also and over time that sounds like a very tough balance to strike right because exactly you want to help them to succeed but you also don't want to make the company too dependent on you yeah so that's that can be tricky mm-hmm. and a- also in terms of success it's not you're not the founder you're in right. the end you're you're the investor yeah. we had examples where we um were kind of almost operational and and I think we delivered uh, great value in in our own perception in a way that we helped them create services and technologies and products but it didn't it didn't help them at the end because we were dumping this stuff virtually in the company and they weren't able to pick it up and 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 and, and use it so so in that sense you can become too operational and um, at, at least myself, I, I struggle still sometimes when I'm in contact with the founders or having a meeting and I exactly know what has to be done. And I know I can actually just pull pull the drawer and take it out and, and it would be worth half a day effort and then it's there. Mm-hmm. But you have to take yourself back and just try to help them achieve the, the same result. And maybe it takes two weeks or three weeks instead of half a day. Right. But at the end, they at least have done it themselves and we've done mistakes in a way that we have been too operational and sort of too helpful that it turned out to be a negative uh, help and when you actually get into the operational role on top of your investor role do you also ask for any compensation in form of cash or shares or just do that out of a pro bono because you're already incentivized with the shares that you already own yeah. Uh, first of all, so the operational role, I think that's it's not that's not what we do on a regular basis. Yeah. That's just you know, that happened once at Bexia. I think it happened once at Nutmeg, but it's not the normal. It's not not the normal case, and we never ask for anything special, any compensation. Or we anything. don't charge anything. You know, there's no charges for board meetings. There's no there's not there's is nothing. This is probably special, but we that that that's one of the USPs I think that we have. You know, we. We provide really, really deep operational um, excellence and, and, and knowledge. And I mean, that's basically possible because you already have skin in the game. You're mm. sitting in the same boat. You want to see the company succeed, right? Yes. So then in 2019, if we fast forward a bit, you then decided to found Session VC. And you actually said, hey, it's now the right time to, to have the official you know, name and also the brand out there to have your own VC fund. Why was 2019 the right moment to, to take that step? 
I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, what, one is that we had a few um, successful exits and we were about to make new investments. And we typically had um, other friends of ours follow us into investments. And we didn't want to do that in a non-structured way mm-hmm. again. So that was that was one of the reasons. And, um, and then I think the, the whole game of investing into startups just became very, very different over the last couple of years. So 10 years ago, there was there was little competition. You didn't really need a brand. Um, and these days, it's just there's so much money um, so that we you, you, you kind of you need to position yourself. So, so we so we decided to form something in a in a structured way. And that's that's why we ended up starting Session VC with uh, which is our money and the money of friends of ours so there's no institutional money in there and how did they structure that is it like from a legal perspective is it is it really a fund yes or? it's a fund okay yeah it's a it's a Liechtenstein based fund perfect but that also brings quite some overhead right I mean yes and it's not as much as in a, in, in a Luxembourg fund but yes and, yeah. and it, but it also I think it gives investors the security that they're uh, their money is managed in a professional manner, and it also gives you the opportunity to scale, um, and that's I mean, that's that's what we're going to try and do. Fantastic, and Martin, you actually focus on the software and consumer space. Why is that the right vertical for you to focus your investment thesis on? Because we understand it. It's it's really simple. Um, I, I I I never I never touch stuff that I think I have absolutely no understanding. Now, Philip Space, he's, he's very strong in the consumer side. That's not particularly my uh, strength. I, I'm more on the on the software and, and SaaS side. And I've built software and SaaS companies uh, all my life. And I'm struggling to um, to see any value in, in Eros uh, where I have no experience. And the approach that we have in uh, when we go to the companies and we tell them, you know, we're able to help you, and then it turns out after the second meeting that you have no clue about anything that they're doing. Uh, it's questionable whether you can really help them. Yeah. So we we do stuff that that we think we understand and we uh, can contribute uh, a certain value. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you also focus at early stage companies. Why is that the right focus besides the software and consumer space? Uh I mean, one reason I think I think it's the most fun. It's and it's and it's where we can I think contribute the most. It's where you get the most bang for your for your input. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot lots of ups and downs, and I think the challenge for us is that it's something that we we deal with all the time, and we ask ourselves how, how to do it. Is is how can we scale ourselves better? Because um, early stage startups, they do take up a lot of time, and um, you know we can't we can't manage a large portfolio, just the two and now th- with with Re- Jeremias, the three of us, and that's that's something that we struggle with. We we we're working on that. We're we're building different systems, putting different systems into place, but that's I think that's the downside of working early stage is that you can't really deal with a lot of companies no. for me the, the 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 early stage is is fascinating you know the phase where you where you probably don't 
yet have product market fit mm -hmm. is for me the, 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 the an extraordinary interesting time for for every startup you know you you don't know whether you can make your sales explode you don't sometimes you don't even know whether you can sell the product and the, the decisions and the help you can provide is is enormous you know when you when you sit in a board meeting or you have a discussion with a founder and you 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 discuss something and you come to a conclusion you, you the, the founder can virtually go back and the day later they start executing against it you know when you have later stage companies you really become the investor because of the money so they need the money to grow the business and and the involvement and the value add and the influence from the investor is 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 much smaller you know the influence that we have in the startups uh, particularly if we understand something about the space the 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 space is 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 really something different and you can you can monitor every month the progress and the progress is 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 huge I can imagine that's also very motivating to be part of that story. That's a that's a lot of fun. Absolutely, it's rewarding, but it can be frustrating at the same time. You know, of because course. sometimes you you're trying very hard to 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 do the right thing. You believe you have a product that has a perfect market fit, and you 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 can just not sell it. So you have to go back yeah. to the drawing board and, and and try again if you have enough funds. But it it this is the interesting bit, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And Philip, besides investing in early stage startups, you actually also start projects with a sole idea. I think you call that session lab. What do you exactly do there and how does that work? Uh, so so as, as Martin said before, we ideate a lot around topics that we find interesting. And a few times in the past, we have thought about starting our own startup in a certain domain. Um, one example, and I think you, you, Martin, wrote a blog about it, was, was Nutmeg, was the topic of robo-advisors, uh, which we wanted to do ourselves. And, and, and then we found Nick Hungerford, the, the, the founder who was already doing it in, in, in the UK, and we invested there as angels. And that is something that we we want to do on the on the lab side. So we... You know, we either we write our own business plan and then we look for a founder who runs with it, or we it's kind of, it ha happens kind of in parallel that we look out for someone who has similar idea to what we have, and then we incubate them, or we we help them on a on an even earlier an even earlier time. And 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 Erica is such an example um, where um, the founder it was just one. F basically one, one guy who came up um, to us and had an idea which we had been coining as well at the same time. And we have another one which isn't disclosed yet. Um, we, can't, we can't release it yet, but there's another one now in our portfolio. It's exactly the same thing in the healthcare space. Wow, nice. And Martin, you mentioned before that for your first business, you, you solved your own problem. Isn't that a, a certain contradiction that if you have an idea and then you try to have someone else running with it, that they might not be as motivated as you with the initial idea because it's not necessarily serving their own problem? Um, that's, a, that's a fair point. Um, in the past, we have been fortunate uh, to actually identify uh, founders who were uh, by coincidence or by plan or by purpose working on the same problem. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't have to convince them that 
this is a problem and it has to be solved. Yeah. But I, I tend to agree, you know, if you if you breed your own uh, ideas and then you have to find someone and first convince that this is a real problem, it, it might be it might be more problematic as 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 opposed to the stuff that that we had you know we found yeah. people with the same idea and um it was it was matching and then and then you um speak the investment yeah because usually what happens right if it's not your own problem that you're trying to solve then as soon as the tough times come up you sort of lose the motivation to a certain degree um yes absolutely and that and that can happen um uh, that that can happen i think we didn't we didn't experience this in the past that that someone lost uh, the motivation because he didn't figure out it was solving his own problem Hey everyone, Nespresso is pleased to launch in partnership with B-Lab Switzerland the Swiss Start Cup challenge aimed at startups, SMEs and students this challenge will highlight and reward the best circular ideas in Switzerland. Do your services and products contribute to the circular economy? Let your circular ideas shine by joining the Swiss Start Cup Challenge at Nespresso.com forward slash Start Cup. The winner of each category will receive 20,000 Swiss francs to finance the development of their project. Plus, a B-Lab Switzerland mentoring program will be offered to the winners of the startup and SME categories. Then there's the jury's favorite who'll be the star of their own video feature. And last but not least, the first 100 participants will receive an espresso machine and a year's worth of coffee. Don't drink it all at once. To participate, fill out a simple eligibility form and send us a video pitch presenting your project before July 7th. Learn more at nespresso.com forward slash start cup. Good luck. So now since we have you here as investors, of course, people listening to this, they also wonder, how do you actually make decisions? How can I convince investors to invest in my company? So first point, Philip, you already mentioned briefly, team is super important to you. What else do you look for in companies that you want to invest in or at least have a closer look at? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned team. <laughs> team is, is, is just really key. Um, I, I think the, the, the other thing I, I always talk about is really the, the timing and it's just by experience that if I if we've, I guess if we look back at the successful investments it was really those two that mattered most and maybe to the surprise of of um, of people the you know the the idea is not really the key thing um i mean otherwise you know would you invest into a running shoe business right <laughs> it's it's um it's it's really the the team and the timing mm -hmm. that that are important and i think the fact that uh the the founder or the founding team that they are passionate about the the product that they want to bring to market that they have a big dream that it's not about building a kaimu as we say here mm -hmm. um, but about being a building a billion dollar business i think that is that is really important to us and that they have a certain experience in in the domain that they that they want to go there are just so many follow-up questions arising out of your statements right now. I want to ask you, Martin, first, timing, that's so, such a crucial thing. 
but Oven te often tends to be a bit overlooked. So do you have any tips on how founders can reflect or improve their timing or at least better understand it? Paul, if I could, if I could give you a, a, an answer, I, I would probably build unicorns. <laughs> I, I can't I can't give you an, uh, an an exact answer. Sometimes it's uh, it's just it's just luck. Sometimes it's 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 a fact that that you see a certain company or a certain field uh, being more developed in one country or in one continent, and and you just feel that there might be an opportunity to replicate it. Sometimes you see that in, 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 in digital things, you, you tend to see that some countries are more advanced than others. Mm -hmm. And you can actually look at those countries and see what kind of models and companies uh, were successful there. And, and then Bexio is one of those examples. You know, Bexio is, a, is, is an ERP uh, solution for very small businesses. And same as with shoes, there were like 400 of them in Switzerland. So why the hell would you finance the 401th? Uh, but I was living in Australia before that, and uh, they had a company called Xero, and they were hugely successful. And, and I saw them grow their business in the Anglo-Saxon region. And for me, it was kind of clear that uh, a web-based ERP at some stage must become reality. And I remember that 10 years before, uh, another friend of mine had the same idea, and I said, I'm not even looking at it. Um, so I saw somewhere that stuff is developing, and, and then you just figure out it's, it's probably the right time. But I, mm -hmm. I, I can't give you a recipe. There, there's probably no, no. recipe. But, but I mean, there's certain, there's certain, as Martin says, there's certain trends that you see, and in fintech, I mean, the, the digitization of um, financial services was something that 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 is happening, that that has been happening for a few years, and at the very early stages, um, the the digitization of wealth management. Um, that was something that we just saw coming. So the, the topic of, of, of building a robo-advisor was kind of, I think timing-wise, was I mean, may, maybe we were, I mean, there's also there was also luck to it in terms of timing. We were even a bit early maybe, but um, but it's something that you saw and and we tried to get that right. I mean, we, we, we think about it, um, right, Martin, for example, with the, CO2 monitoring, indoor indoor CO2 monitoring, which we're doing with Erica, it's also a topic that we have been thinking about and that um, where we feel that this is becoming important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, for companies. And it's maybe still early days, but there's, there's, it's, just, it's just a feeling that this is a market that will develop stomach. over the next years. It's yeah. a, at the end, it's a little bit of a stomach, you know. So uh, once every few years, you 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 hit uh, or you've been hit by by someone, mm -hmm. and you just think, well, this is this this is it, you know. This is this is probably going to be it, and 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 then you 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 bite. Yeah, you you basically follow your gut feeling just yeah. to have yes. the best yes. chance to to succeed, right? Yes. At the same time, if I think about what other guests said here on the show, I think really also what you just mentioned, like timing, you cannot influence it, but you can try to understand it or to see where it's going. But then as a company, and 
that's a good challenge for you as investors. Then you would try to stay as lean as possible, mm -hmm. probably not have any investors on board in the early days to survive for as long as possible until the right timing sort of finds you. And that's what you would then probably call luck um, because there might be COVID, which gives you a huge boost, mm -hmm. which you would have never expected before. So that might be a good setup. Follow your own problems, solve them, and then stay as lean as possible until the timing finds you. And then you need investors to grow as fast as possible. That that timing might be difficult as well, you know, because you never know when when the rock could sure. gain speed. And and when you're in this lean mode for for a long time, and you suddenly figure out it's the right time now, you're not going to be the only one. Yeah. And if you're the, the the lean stealth, your your uh, ability to execute will be limited. And technology evolves and moves, so you still have to 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 keep that running. But what, what, I think what is true to what, what you said, Silvan, is is that in the beginning it's important to stay very lean until you know you found that product market fit, and we see that very quite often that mistake that people scale too early or in founders scale too early. Yeah, and then you yeah. find out we're not there yet, yes. and then you have to pivot, which yes. is expensive because then you probably hired the wrong people, etc. And that's just not fun for anyone yeah. involved. I've built, um, as I told you, I, I still build hardware and software myself. And I, I think I've built like a dozen tools and, and softwares and things. Um, and, and at the end, with many of them, I thought timing's not right. You know, that it, mm -hmm. it's not here because as a venture capital or as an investor in general, you're, you're, you're leading edge. You're always leading edge. And leading edge, edge doesn't mean you, you have a big mass because you only have the early adopters who, yeah. who will follow you. Yeah. And you can't build a big business with early adopters. You just can't. You know, you have to, you have to time or you have to get it right by coincidence or, or, or any other feeling or, or structure uh, to, to hit when the majority is ready to, to mm -hmm. buy. And that's a tough, that's a tough yeah. game. Sometimes yeah. it's technology yeah. things that, that prevent you from executing. Sometimes it's marketing stuff. And, and just to, to be clear, we've also made big mistakes in timing. So we've also, mm. you know, even, even you, Martin, I mean, you built a company and you were completely wrong in timing and it c could have turned out to be the Spotify, right? I mean, music streaming, music on demand. Too early. And, and and we were just, or you were too early. There was no bandwidth available at the time. And music rights. People laughed at me, you know. I had yeah. streaming services um, uh, and, and, and they laughed at me and said, what the hell is this? And and I, honestly, I, that, that was probably not just time. It was also uh, um, being scared of, of executing it. And uh, that's actually a good, a good example. You know, Spotify hasn't been scared to jump into a market that was deadly regulated with um, right holders who, who who wanted money everywhere. And they said, we don't care. Mm -hmm. um, we just raise the money and we just pay what they want. And and the Swiss is more, <laughs> I'm still a Swiss, mm -hmm. you know, the Swiss is more cautious and said, how the hell shall I deal with, uh, uh, with all those claims from the right holders? Yeah. So I better pull the plug because people don't like it anyway. And then this also comes back to what you said before, Philip, thinking big, having these big visions and ambitions. Is that something that you feel is lacking a bit here in Switzerland? Are we not hungry enough? Yes, I, I think it's definitely a, a, a trait of um, 
I think the, the Swiss culture is that we miss that a bit. I mean, sometimes I think maybe the the, the U.S. guys they overdo it <laughs> a bit. <laughs> I, um, yeah. but there's definitely this 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 big difference in terms of how you know how the Swiss sell their vision and their dream compared to an Anglo-Saxon founder. I think that is, I mean, it's, it's becoming less and less, but it's still the case. Do you have any recommendations to founders on how to improve on that part? Well, I think, yeah, ultimately you need, that's, it's difficult to do, I mean, what exactly a rec, to give a recommendation, but you need this bold vision and maybe if you have a vision, you know, think about what would be even bolder mm -hmm. and then, you know, go for that. Yeah. Now, I also wonder, is there any red flag or absolute no-go in an investment where you say, oh, if that's the case, I walk away. Any experience or any, you know, anything that you can share here, Martin? For me, it's clearly um, non-committed founders. You know, there is... Um But when I see founders that, and they have another job, no. um, I don't even look at it. So e either you're a founder and you want to build your business and you go uh, and, and are happy to take risks or, or stay where you are. No. Um, for me, that, that, that's clearly uh, one of the no-goes. Um, cap tables who look awkward and difficult already uh, you know you, you you go out and you you do seven family and friends rounds with different conditions is typically something that we, mm. we don't like very much yeah, you know? 50 angels and 50 seven angels, convertibles yes. and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. anything else that you would like to add i think it's a, it's again values I think yeah. if values generally, if if they don't match, and it, it's also a certain gut feeling, yeah. yeah if if someone is is too arrogant or um, yeah, difficult people, yes, yeah. because you know the the way we work, we need we need people we can work with, yeah. and if we feel that this is likely going to be uh, difficult or challenging, um, we're the wrong ones, you know. We absolutely. And we also want to have fun, right? Yes. I mean, we want to look forward to a board meeting or a conversation. Sure. At our age, I think we deserve to have a bit of fun. Yes. How do you test for these things? Do you, you know, take them out for dinner or visit them in their offices? Or how do you actually test for the personality and the character behind the founders? We tell them a joke and see whether they smile. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you know, you typically you figure out after the first or the second, uh, after yeah. the first or the second discussions. You know, yeah. you you, yeah. you figure out what kind of guys, what kind of personalities are they, uh, what do they want, are their ambitions uh, right? Can we imagine to have fun, fun with them, but also serious fun? You know, they need to deliver. We want yeah. we want them to grow. We want to uh, do that. But I mean, yeah. I think you you also you, you get a feeling for if they if if they listen, they don't have to, they don't have need to have the same opinion on something, but they need to value your input and then have you know give you good feedback. And I guess if after one or two meetings, someone always knows things better in any case, then that's not a good start. Yeah. yeah. 
So now I also wonder what happens if you, Philip, want to really invest in a company, but you, Martin, say, mm, I'm not so sure. I'd rather stay out of that deal. How do you reach a decision? Then you just don't invest or how do you make a decision there? <laughs> we fight. <laughs> yeah, it's really about convincing, <laughs> convincing, convincing the other. Yeah. yeah. I think we yes we have to and and you feel that you know we uh, we have a we have a case at the moment and this sometimes it happens that we are in a call or or or, or we have multiple calls and we're totally synchronized that we want to do that yeah. and in other instances um, someone is really not hungry at all mm -hmm. and then there's just a little bit more work that that needs to be done and 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 either you agree at the end we don't have a formal process written on paper but i think this is one of those mutual agreements that we have is not to uh to do transactions if one has some um, serious concerns yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing that's interesting is that you know i i'm much more naive when it comes to more technical opportunities because i don't have a technical background so i often It often happens that I approach Martin and say, this is the greatest thing, you know, what we should invest here. And so at the, and at, at the moment, it's the other way around. So Martin is pitching to me a B2C topic and I'm very skeptical and he's very positive. Interesting. So that's yeah. that's uh, something that happens quite often. We're going to follow up and see how that will end up. <laughs> So I also want to talk about the learnings that you made along the way. I mean, you have a tremendous career, a tremendous experience. And first thing from you, Philip, um, when we did the prep call together, you mentioned one big learning that you want to share with us today is doing things that don't scale. So you have a story that you brought with us to talk about that learning point. Yeah, I thought about that one. And, and I think it's, it's if you look at ON and, and, and the, the history of ON, um, they started in 2010 and at the time there was no real digital sales channel. There was no selling over the internet. So you really had to go out and convince the running store owners and the retailers of the product. You had to hustle basically, which is something that Casper was very good at. And you need, you had to think about different ways of convincing these owners so um, there were a lot of runs over so you, you called them up let's go for a run let's try them out you did a lot of kind of guerrilla marketing things so ultimately a lot of stuff that doesn't doesn't really scale but what happens when you do that is that you learn so so much about um The, you know your sales channel and then also the end customer because you're there in the store you're selling the product yourself um, that's just proved that proved to be incredibly valuable and I think that's one of the reasons for the success of, 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 of the company and if I compare that to many B2C startups these days they have this possibility of going the digital way from the beginning and uh, you know buying customers with adwords or whatever um, facebook instagram etc etc and often i think that's almost too easy the easy way to go and you don't really feel 
why, for example, why is the customer buying my product, which mm -hmm. is something that's absolutely key because very often that is not what you think is the, you know, what, what you think is the reason is, is, is often not the case. So, so that's, that's an advice that, that I would give. And um, if, you know, someone wants to listen more deeply into the topic, I think I mentioned to you, you can put that into the show notes, the, the, the Brian Chesky 30 minute interview with Reid Hoffman on, on, on the topic, Brian Chesky being the CEO of Airbnb. That's a great, a great podcast that I would recommend to everyone. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Would you, in, in that regard, also say that if you do things that don't scale, that can significantly speed up the process to get to product market fit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a clear statement that every founder has to take to heart now. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, for you, the, the key learning that you shared with us in the, in the preparation is basically Switzerland is too small of a market. And we already briefly touched up on the robo-advisor story that you were working on. Can you share the story and, and the exact learning with us here? Yes. Um, so Philip and I, we, um, we actually started thinking about doing um, a robo-advisor. Uh, I think it was 2008 in the middle of the financial crisis and, and it went on and on till 2010, 2011. And we really built, um, I built code. Um, you had, Philip had meetings um, with banks and we were really in advanced stages of starting the business. Uh, there was one thing uh, that just stopped us from doing it and that was the Excel sheet. So we couldn't make that business case work. What, whatever we tried to, to put in, the financial model didn't work. And if a financial model doesn't work in Switzerland, or, or if the financial model doesn't work, the likelihood that you can actually build up a business is very small. So if, if not even the model works, it, it's getting a problem. So we then saw, um, by coincidence, a guy in the UK um, uh, called um, Nick Hungerford, who, who, who built this um, uh, company, Notmac. And because we, we were dealing with, um, with the kind of business, we, we knew a hell lot. You know, we knew how to build it. We knew how to structure it. We knew how to set up the product. And we were of some help um, for him. And, and we invested in that, in that business in the UK. And um, the, the, the difference is really in the UK, you have a market of 60 million, 60 to 80 million. In the Switzerland, you have like six to eight with uh, three different languages. And the cost for building the product is exactly the same. So uh, building a software for the UK has the same price tag as the one for Switzerland. But, but your, 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 your revenue potential in the UK is obviously 10 times bigger. So you try to do it there. And um, that's, that's what we did. And I spent, um, I think also quite typical, um, six months in the UK um, after they did Series A. Uh, to help them in in building the architecture right and 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 the product and their their business processes and 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 stuff like that so the the market size is very relevant and we had another example i think philip mentioned it a um, more recent one where we thought a long time about stuff in the mental health space tech in the mental health space um, where we also almost built prototypes uh, and same problem, you know, it's uh, it's very challenging to 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 make that business work in Switzerland, even in an Excel sheet. 
no 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 good feeling about it so almost same story we found someone in the uk who uh, solved that and they also have um, a very innovative uh, way of found of, of of financing financing their idea so we invested there i think that's a really interesting learning because if you look at bexo for example you know they they built a very successful business here in switzerland but they focused on a pretty large market that we had here well, if the robo-advisors were going to take a share of the investment sum, you need so much money to make it work. Yes, you need a lot of money, but Bexio need, uh, needed a lot of money to work uh, to work as well. There is uh, some businesses, um, they work better in, in smaller markets than others, you know, and, and, and Bexio is an accounting system. It has uh, payroll, uh, it has tax stuff, it had VAT stuff, and these things are typically not very scalable you know you can't take a, a product like Bexio and just copy paste it in, into Germany or, or France yeah. it doesn't work so there's a natural protection in some eras and, and finance is, is another one of them you know in, in you, you can't build a robo-advisor in country A and then launch it in 27 countries it, it's yeah. still today it, it's quite a, a, a challenge to do and in Bexio um, the, the, when you have a business like Bexio, for example, you always have to think about going vertical or ho horizontal, you know, and horizontal would, would sort of mean you scale geographically. Mm -hmm. So you, you keep your functionality relatively low. So there's no real deep functionality, but you go broad. So you actually take making an invoice and you copy it and, and you launch it in France and in Germany and everywhere. And, and that's what the company originally wanted to do until we told them you're not going to do that. We're going to dig deep. And if you look at the Bexio right now, they are uh, incredibly successful still, but they integrate relatively deep into the uh, customer experience. So mm -hmm. you actually get more revenue uh, per client as opposed to a horizontal model. Yeah, yeah I think these are very in interesting strategic takes that people can also take yes. and reflect on. It's always vertical versus horizontal, going deep versus broad. I, I think that's still a topic today, mm. uh, although many business models um, are, are better scalable than tax and, and ERP and of accounting course. systems. Now, if, if you look at your careers and where you stand today, Philip, you both achieved business, but also financial success. So one might also ask themselves, why do you still get up in the morning and don't just enjoy life, but also put a lot of stress and work on your plate? The, f the first days of vacation are always hard for me. Um, you can ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> I, I just need to do something and I need a bone to, to gnaw on. I, uh, it's just, I think, the way I, don't know, the way I work. And, and for me to be happy is to, to have something to work on. I can't just lie at the beach. Yeah, it's as simple as that. How is that for you, Martin? I don't consider this as work and that that may sound cheap but but this is the reality you know I I, I, I could tell people now you know I'm not working I, I don't get I don't get paid a lot we don't get paid a lot in in, in the fund we're not getting rich in in the fund but but we love it you know and the thing is um, I get up every morning and and I love doing what I do so uh, for me this it's, it's kind of not working it's 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 fun that sounds like a very good life setup then 
it is in fact you know it is um it it's it's stressful it it's it's sort of unpredictable because um whenever you think uh, it's now a quiet period coming <laughs> you can be sure that in one of the companies there is a there is a firefighter uniform required because something's went something went wrong or so but i i love doing it so it's just i'm passionate about technologies products building companies and i i don't even consider it as work Fantastic. So, of course, now we also wonder what's next for you and Session VC. So, Philip, you ever plan of expanding your investment focus or what do you have in store for us in the future? So, in terms of fund, uh, we're, I guess, relatively close to um, being financed uh, for, or, uh, you know, having um, invested into um, enough companies so that the remaining money of the fund will be used for existing investments. So we will most likely launch another fund um, this year. In terms of strategy, I guess we will stick with investing early stage. That's just, again, I mean, we, we explained that just where we think we can add most value and which something we enjoy the most in terms of structure i think we want to work with um even more founders who've already done it we want to find ways to integrate them into our structure and network that is something we're working on so that they again can contribute to the investments that we make and that they also have a vehicle um, through which they can invest uh, that's that's kind of those are the, th the things that we're working on and martin do you have any investment folks like any industries or startups that you're particularly uh, excited about these days i know you tried to convince philip but I, I have a lot. I mean, I, 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 I can't give you a list of uh, names, but, but I have a, a lot of uh, a lot of areas. I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to, uh, to, to see more, more stuff happening. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm big. I'm convinced that anything around machine learning and AI will, will, will become huge in, in a way that, that we can't, we don't even know. We don't even know how profound the impact of, of 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 this of this will be in the in the long run there's a few eras where we where we really believe um, there will be huge traction but funny enough if you look at our portfolio it's it's typically you can define a sweet spot and and, and then two weeks later you do an investment that is totally offside from everything <laughs> that you have ever defined yeah. just because it works with the people it works with the strategy so if I tell you that AI and machine learning is the right thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that doesn't, I think, I mean, I would completely agree on AI and machine learning, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be su successful investors in that space. Sure. No. Yeah. So we've, in the past, and I think there have been many occasions where we made an investment and said, this is going to be a huge success. It's going to be a unicorn, decacorn, whatever. And it turned out to be a failure and the other way around, something which we thought was absolutely not scalable. Um, became a huge success. So that's it's it's really hard to predict. And I think venture investing is ex exceptionally humbling business to be in. And it's just, yeah, a lot of gut feeling, luck and yeah. yeah. 
But no, I think that also plays very well with what you said at the very beginning. There is no master plan. Yeah. One door opens, one door closes. You go step by step and there's no master plan behind the whole thing. Think big, stay humble, and you'll end up in a good spot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well said. So before we wrap up this episode, we have two last sections for you. The first one is any resources or gadgets that you can recommend to our listeners that can be books, blogs, podcasts, anything that you can think of. Do you have a recommendation that you want to share with us? Martin, maybe you can go first. I need more time to think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I generally, I like listening to long form podcasts, something that Martin doesn't enjoy too much. We've had some discussions on that, but um, I don't think I'm telling your listeners anything new uh, with, uh, you know, Lex Friedman or Tim Ferriss and and those kind of things. So I really enjoy them. Um, In terms of reading, I typically read nonfiction books and and, and, and not not about business. So I, I... I try to read um, things about physics, so Max Tegmark, for example, even though I, I rarely understand <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the stuff, at, at least to detail what he writes about. I just find, find these topics fascinating. And then I also read stuff about um, um, meditation and, 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 and those, kind of, you know, those kind of topics. As well, Stephen Batchelor, um, is, is, uh, he, he writes great books. I mean, so that's that's a recommendation. And um, I do have a business book that that um, I am planning to read. I haven't started yet. That's uh, I'm sure you know it, it's from from Andrew Chen, the partner of Andreessen Cold Store Problem. Yeah, he yeah. just released it recently. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one I'm going to read. Wonderful. Martin, anything came to mind? Yeah, well, it did. But uh, be, uh, Philip told you know I'm not a regular podcast listener uh anything that's taking more than 10 minutes becomes difficult for me uh same sort of same with reading though i I started reading but but also i don't read a lot of um a lot of business stuff or so uh at the moment i'm reading for example the silk road which is um which is about the silk road and and the historical concept of the uh, silk road and i also read a lot of um philosophical um philosophical stuff and then github <laughs> makes sense go, yeah. go to github and and see what what happens there um perfect so the very last part for you today are some rapid fire questions so i either give you and um, different options to choose from or a simple question you have to make an answer in one sentence so the first question is to both of you we start with philip do you prefer to regret making investment or regret not making it probably regret making it because it's it's really you have to take really tough decisions which you don't have to if you you never made the investment what is it for you martin total opposite (laughs) i i I regret for me the worst uh the worst is uh i look at the business and 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 i i say what a crap never works and then Two years later, they they raise one hundred million and become a unicorn. Uh, yeah, I, I, opportunity. I, I hate this. You know, I, I really hate this. <laughs> Despite, yeah, happens all the time. Happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, if you had to make a choice, founder or investor? I know you're an investor today, but who knows? Probably too old for founder. Yeah. 
So investor it is. So investor it is, yeah. <laughs> Martin, you, you know both hats very well. So founder or investor, what is your choice? I would say founder. Why? It's the more creative, yeah. uh, more creative side of things. You know, this is more influence. But 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 hey, we're, we're founders as well. So we founded Session VC. So that's right. Yeah. Product or sales, Philip? Product. Martin. Yeah. Product. Team or idea? That's a simple one, right? Yep. So team for you, yep. obviously, Martin. No-brainer team. For you, Martin, VC money or bootstrapping? Bootstrap. Philip? First. So it's yeah. an unfair question because... <laughs> I get it, yeah. <laughs> it depends. I, you know, If you can bootstrap, bootstrap. But if you need to scale fast, it's VC money. But take it from the right VCs. Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the last one for you today, Switzerland, Europe, or United States? I know I don't give you enough context, but if you had to make a choice, you can also explain, explain in what context you make your choice. So. For me, for me, it's, it's, it's Switzerland, um, even, even though I like the other places. I like the, the States, but it's, it's my home and I, I, I love the mountains. And so it's definitely Switzerland. Switzerland. Very, very clearly for me as well. Um, clearly Switzerland, yeah. And then from Switzerland out to the world to build a big business. Well, yes. And, and honestly, um, COVID might be negative for a hell lot of stuff, but it, it became easier to scale your businesses uh, abroad uh, thanks to, to COVID. You know, people are, are, are now used to, to work remote. They're used to work with uh, online tools much more. Even complex sales uh, actually work Absolutely. online. So Switzerland just gained a hell lot in, in abilities to, to actually scale their businesses outside Switzerland. So that's another reason to be in Switzerland. I think we're going to see many more great exits and hopefully also IPOs out, out mm. of Switzerland with that new wave of scale-up companies. So Martin, Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure talking to you and all the best, lots of success and happy investing. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Silvan. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.